Thank you, Dan. We are in Revelation chapter 12. We come as far as Revelation chapter 12. We're going to, just to put it in context, remember there are no chapter breaks in the Bible. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start uh, at uh, verse 15, even though we've covered it uh, 15 through 19 of the previous chapter. But just just to kind of keep it in in perspective, uh, we're coming up now on the seventh trumpet. And when the seventh trumpet uh, goes off, uh, this is actually going to be the third woe. Uh, we covered the uh, the first uh, of the three woes that are talked about in uh, chapter uh, eight, and uh, the first, of course, is the releasing of of the uh, angels that are in the bottomless pit in the abyss. Uh, the second woe is the uh, uh, the woe that is talked about here, where the the witnesses uh, come and uh, and there is the uh, destruction of. Uh, <clears throat> You know, basically one third of the uh, of the peoples of the earth, and so on. Uh, and now we're coming up to uh, this uh, this seventh trumpet, and uh, the, it'll be the third woe, the third of the three woes. Uh, in verse fourteen, it says, "The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly." And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, "The kingdom of this world." Uh, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who art and who wast, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. And the nations, that's the Greek word ethos for unbelievers, Uh, So the unbelievers were enraged. Remember that because uh, there's going to be another person who gets enraged as we read here at the end of the chapter. The two are in harmony with one another. Uh, So the two, uh, the, 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 uh, the unbelievers were enraged and thy wrath came and the time came from, uh, for the dead to be judged and the time to give their reward uh, to thy bond servants and the prophets and to the saints and to those who fear thy name the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So this seventh trumpet goes off, and uh, now the Lord makes this declaration that um, that he is going to begin to, to reign. And uh, when this happens, we are now at the midpoint of the tribulation. Three and a half years have passed. Uh, we read about that in the previous, previous chapter, uh, that after three and a half years, the two witnesses were, uh, were killed and, uh, and then raised from the dead after they laid in the street for three and a half days. And, um, and then, of course, um, are ascended into heaven to, to be at the right hand of God as well. And what this does is this does something which I think is very important, and that is um, that the people in Israel, the people that were there in Jerusalem, saw this, were terrified by it, and this is the first time we see this. We say it says they gave glory to the God of heaven. And so at this point we start to see, excuse me, a a redemption of Jewish people that uh, is is beginning to take place and uh, we don't know at what level or whatever but clearly that's uh, what it what it is um, foretelling here and so we get into verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 and it says and a great 
sign. Uh, some, uh, some Bibles will say a great wonder. Uh, some will say other things. But basically what it's talking about there is a, uh, a kind of a, a, a revelationary event. This is, this is kind of that same idea uh, as, as we get at the very beginning when it talks about apocalypse. So, so this great sign appeared in heaven. Now, notice it did not appear in earth. It appeared in heaven. So this, this sign that we're about to see is not occurring on earth. It's occurring in heaven. In other words, this is something where it's a vision to him. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, uh, an awareness of what, of what is actually taking place. So this is different than some of the other things that were actually taking place on the earth. The, the two witnesses, of course, in Jerusalem and so forth. Now he's transitioned where he's now talking about something that's actually taking place uh, in the heavens. And so it says, and a great sign appeared in heaven. And then it says, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head, uh, on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and she cried out being in labor in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, uh, were seven diadems. Diadems, by the way, is a Greek word that uh, means uh, like a crown, but it's a crown of a conqueror to be differentiated from a from the crown of a uh, a person that was uh, uh, ruling at that time was the conqueror's crown. So he's wearing that kind of a crown. We're going to read more about that in chapter thirteen. So we're going to kind of not spend a whole lot of time on that seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems until next time. And it says, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, actually to a male child, uh, who is to rule all the Again, nations is the word ethos, that would be unbelievers, to rule all the unbelievers uh, with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Uh, The word um, uh, caught up there is the Greek word harpazo, which is the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 16, where it says in, uh, when the Lord uh, raptures the church. So that, that word, uh, harpazo, is typically translated uh, in more modern text, rapture. Uh, it's the idea of, of pulling up from the, from the sky. It's not a resurrection, per se. It is the you know, idea of, of catching up or, or taking them into the clouds. And so uh, we, we see that happening here in Revelation a couple of times. We saw that with the, with the witnesses, obviously, and now we're seeing it with this one here, who is this child uh, who is caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. In other words, for the balance of this tribulation. We, we see the tribulation is a, a total of, uh, of 84 months. First 42 have already taken place. And now this, uh, this woman uh, is going to be uh, watched over uh, by God uh, in a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished for the, for the balance of this, of this period. Uh, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no place, no longer a place found for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they, did, uh, and they did not love their lives even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell with them. Woe, this is the third woe, woe to the earth and the sea because of the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the man-child. And... The two wing, and, and the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness in her time, that she was nourished for a time and times, actually literally double time. So she was nourished for a time, double times, and a half a time uh, from the presence of the serpent. The word time there by the word is karos. Uh, in Greek, there are two words for time. One is karos, the other is chronos. Uh, Karos is the idea of a season, a period. Uh, Kronos is the is actual, you know, like wristwatch type time. Okay, so uh, to be differentiated. So most uh, scholars believe that that they were talking about the, again the same three and a half year period. So she'll be nourished for a time and a times and a half a time, uh, and uh, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after. Um, the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth uh, opened its mouth and drank up the, the river which the, the dragon uh, poured out of his mouth. Now, notice he's going back and forth between serpent and dragon here. That's kind of an interesting uh, little, little analogy. But uh, most scholars believe it, you know, when you look at the actual word, serpent is really what it all should be. And it really, uh, uh, there's really no, uh, dragon is kind of an interesting word. There's really no word for dragon, uh, per se. There is no such thing, really, uh, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the figurative sense. So uh, uh, the idea of a dragon, by the way, comes from, uh, uh, from a, uh, 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 what do they call it? Uh, the Kabbalah, which is, which is part of, of Judaism, the mysticism of Judaism, is where they get that concept of a dragon, which is kind of interesting as well. Um, so it says in the, and now switching back, it says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, same word that was used in chapter 11 about the unbelievers being enraged, and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, or descendants uh, is, is actually literally what the word is there, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So lots to unpack today, lots going on that's, that's in this chapter and so on. Uh, the, the thing that I think is interesting is, is you have to understand who the characters are. So we have uh, a bunch of characters, and we're going to identify those characters. The first, of course, is that we have a woman. Um, and this woman, it says, is clothed, clothed with the sun um, and the moon uh, under her feet and her head a crown of 12 stars. So then the second thing is, is obviously we have this, uh, who are the 12 stars. Then we have this, this serpent, the great red dragon, who, by the way, is identified for us. It clearly says that that is Satan. 
then we have this man child who is, uh, who is the person that she gives birth to. We have the stars of heaven um, that, are, that are laid out. So we have a bunch of different characters um, in, this, uh, in this particular thing. And so if you do a careful inspection of this, uh, you realize that first and foremost, this is all occurring in heaven, not on earth. So the, so the idea of time is not really something that you know, we're, we're really kind of tied into here. Um, this is not something where, remember, in heaven there is no time. So he's basically uh, showing us things that might have happened before, might continue to happen in the future. We really don't know, um, but I think we can, we can make some, uh, some interesting things here. We have a pregnant woman. Uh, notice there's no discussion here of a father. There's no one, no one that actually got this, uh, this woman pregnant. Uh, we don't know uh, uh, anything about that. We just have this, this woman who is, who is pregnant. Uh, uh, we have this man-child, and we have the stars of heaven. So each one of these, I think, has to be first and foremost identified. So first, in, uh, first when we look at the, uh, the woman, uh, there are a lot of different ideas about who the woman is. Uh, most of them are so whacked out it's it's not even funny uh, and and when you when you read some of these commentaries that people actually write i, I it reminds me of notations um, written by people on the internet on twitter um, it's, yeah i mean it's it's just like what you know rub your eyes kind of stuff right uh, you know and so on but the primary ideas here is the first is is this is the uh, this is the mother this is the Catholic version this is the mother Mary this is this is uh, Mary and uh, and and really what he's doing is he's recounting what happened uh, when she went into the wilderness uh, but it really doesn't tie because the fact is is that this one is going to go into the wilderness for three and a half years after the birth of the child that never happened with Mary. Uh, she obviously uh, ran off into Egypt uh, to, to give birth uh, or to, to take her son after he gave birth, but, but the son came with her. In this example, the son doesn't. He, he goes and, and goes straight to, uh, to the Lord. So Mary is probably not a good example. Uh, there are some that actually teach that this is the church. That's a really uh, big idea uh, that this is the church. But, but the church uh, is, is, is given birth by the Messiah, not the other way around. You know, the church can't give birth to the Messiah. Uh, the Messiah gives birth to the church. Uh, so there is, you know, there's no, uh, uh, actually the, the Messiah weds the church, literally is what it says in 1 Corinthians. So this, this idea that, that this could be the church is, is, mis, is misguided as well. And most of the uh, people that don't see it for what it really, I believe, is, and that is Israel, is because they don't, believe that Israel is no longer in the plan of God. We talked about this last week, uh, this, pre, uh, this pre-tourist view uh, of, of, of the, um, you know, of the, the recounting of, of Revelation uh, indicates that, that Israel, God is done with, with Israel and that he's, uh, once, uh, once the temple was destroyed, that was kind of the end of things for the, for the Jewish people. And uh, of course, we just don't, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. I, I, I don't have any uh, reason to, to believe that. But why do I think the woman is Israel? Go back to Genesis. We're going to go back to Genesis. We're going to look at two places in Genesis. First, we're going to look at Genesis 37, and then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. So first in, in Genesis 37, Genesis, what was it again? 
37. In Genesis 37, uh, basically this is where uh, Joseph declares his dream to his brothers. And uh, this does not make his brothers very happy, as you'll recall, and uh, is what actually gets him thrown into the pit, which ends up, which, which makes him end up in Egypt and so forth. But starting in verse 5, it says this. It says, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, that was the mistake. He should have never said anything to his brothers, okay? You have a dream, keep it to yourself, Joseph, right? Okay, but no, he didn't do that. So Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed themselves down to my sheaf. That's a very nice thing to say to your brothers. Uh, and his brother said to him, what are you, uh, uh, are you actually uh, going to reign over us or... Uh, are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he had still another dream, and he related it to his brothers. This guy just doesn't learn from his mistakes, right? And he said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Isn't that interesting? The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to me, Uh, Of course, he would be that 12th star. And it says, and he related this to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. um, And but his father kept the saying. In other words, his father considered the saying. Uh, interesting section of scripture, kind of, you know, this thing, but in his dream, now all of Joseph's dreams, by the way, came true. I don't know if you've thought about that, but there is not a dream that is recorded about Joseph that did not come true to its completion. So we see this, this one who was clothed in the sun and the moon and the 11 stars plus Joseph, that would be the 12 stars. And that is a picture of the sons of Jacob. And so here we've got this one who is this woman. Now, now it's interesting because the only time in the Bible it talks about the seed of the woman rather than the seed of the man is at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. So go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 that obviously we're in Eden. And it, uh, the serpent it says, uh, was, was, uh, was more, uh, the, the serpent, by the way, the word for, for serpent is, uh, is nahak. And, uh, and some people actually use the word nefesh as well. Um, the Hebrew word nachash means to hiss, but nefesh means, uh, one who is a beautiful yet deceiving creature. It's, 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 it's an interesting thing. It's a word you guys are going to hate me for saying this, but it's a word that's used to talk about beautiful people. That's, that's what it's, 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 it's funny. Uh, Jewish people use the word nefesh to describe a beautiful person, but not one you can trust. It's kind of the idea behind it. And it really find it finds its roots uh, from this particular se- session where it talks about nachash. And so it's kind of a, a, a derivative of that word. And so the, the serpent was more crafty than any beast in the field the Lord God uh, made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, 
You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, uh, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, isn't it interesting? The Bible tells us that the, 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 the fruit of the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And that's exactly what that's talking about. The lust of the eyes. She saw that the food was good. Uh, the lust of the flesh, uh, and that it was desirable, and the pride of life, um, it, you know, it was delight to the, I'm sorry, it was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. So the idea there, again, of the pride of life. Just a fascinating little combination that we see in Scripture, being able to go Scripture upon Scripture. Uh, and so she took from the fruit, and she ate, and she gave it to her husband which uh, with her, and he ate, and then their eyes, both of them, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings, and they heard the voice uh, of the Lord God, I'm sorry, the sound of the Lord God uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the voice or the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman which thou gavest to me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. I love this guy. Because that's what I would have said. Okay. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So you just keep passing on the blame here, okay? And the Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than any other cat, more than all the cattle, and more than any beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall eat, you will eat all of the days of your life. And I will put, listen to this verse, I will put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman. I will put hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, her descendants. And he, her seed, shall bruise you on your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so the woman, uh, he said, uh, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So we have this picture, this, this first promise of God, once they had sinned, of redemption. And the, the, the idea here is that she is going to bring forth a child. She is going to bring forth a man-child. That man-child is going to bruise the head of Satan, is going to take out Satan, and, but yet, in the process, he himself is going to have to be injured as well. And, of course, we see that great picture of the Messiah coming, um, crushing Satan, uh, uh, you know, on the, on, the, on the tree, but himself obviously having to give his, his own life um, in, in the process of, of doing that. So this, this idea here 
of the woman being Israel, I think is pretty solid. And so, and she is the one who brings forth this, this man child, and it is the seed of the woman. It is not the seed of the man. There is no discussion of a man here. Now, this is also very interesting, but in Judaism, it's one of the only groups that I know of where your heritage as a Jew is not found in your father, it's found in your mother. So when you have a Jewish mother, that's when you are in fact Jewish. If you have a Jewish father who, uh, who gets a uh, non-Jew pregnant, uh, you have to convert to Judaism. So again, the same kind of thing that's, that's coming out of this, just a little piece of information there. You know, it has absolutely, you know, I think everything to do with this idea that, that God is, is, has, has put into Judaism this knowledge uh, of the things uh, of things of God, I just I think it's just fascinating. So, so we see this pregnant woman without a father giving birth to this child, and it says, "And the child will rule." So go back to uh, to Revelation chapter twelve, and it says, uh, "And she gave birth to a son." This is verse five. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all of the. Ethnos, which is, of course, the unbelievers. In, um, uh, in Hebrew, we would say goyim, same idea, the Gentiles. And it's interesting because you see God declaring this in the second psalm, where in the second psalm, the, the Lord says to his anointed, uh, sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies a, a footstool for your feet. So, so I'm going to set you up as the ruler uh, over all of the nations. And the nations, of course, are taking counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, but it does its to no good. In fact, so, so, so much so that it says in Psalm 2 that the Lord laughed at them. The Lord scoffed at them uh, over such a r- ridiculous uh, idea. Yes? I, I find it odd that it says son and then it says male child. Why, why it's the same word. Distinction yeah, there is no distinction. It's, it's the same word in, in Greek. Okay. Yeah, so I... I not real sure why why the interpreters and by the way some don't and some do and some don't it's it's kind of kind of interesting but I guess the idea there is that once he's born he's a son you know is is the idea behind it. I I don't I really don't know uh, but but again it's the same word so she gave birth to a son to a male it's it's basically to a male technically is what it says there um, and then. Uh, uh, it you know it's it's that that same idea. So uh, so we have this this picture of the woman and the dragon, which of course is Satan, the man child, which is the Messiah. We have the uh, stars of heaven. We actually have identified those previously, so I'm not going to get into it. But the stars of heaven. If you go back to Revelation chapter nine, listen to what we talked about there. You'll remember that the stars of heaven are the angels that are in heaven. And so when we're in heaven, we talk about the stars of heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, uh, the angels that are there. And there's two groups of angels. There's the angels that are pulled down here uh, by Satan himself. And, uh, and then there are the angels that are with Gabriel, or excuse me, with Michael, uh, that is, who is the archangel. Uh, whenever you see the word arch in Greek, that means chief, top, head guy. Okay, so like that's where we get the idea of archbishop. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the archangel is the head angel, uh, the one that's in charge of all of this stuff. Okay, I think you answered it. So a third of the angels were cast down with Satan. Correct. To earth. 
Yes. It has to be a significant number. Yes, it's got to be a significant number because the Bible tells us that there are myriads of myriads of angels. Okay, so many so that you can't even count them. So, so yeah, this was a this was a big um, a big thing that was going on so at that time. Roaming this earth twenty four seven, never takes vacations, eats or sleeps or anything. Uh-huh. These demonic beings, right? But just to separate us from God. But it's interesting. Uh, we're going to see here these demonic beings don't have any power. They don't have any power. They do not have any power on their own. It's, yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting. It's their power comes through fear. Their power comes through fear, and their power comes through lies. On that note, does Satan still have access to God to accuse us? Uh, does not appear that that's the case. Never was that, you know, and so forth. So I want to talk about that because I think that's an important issue. And I really want to focus on that today because this chapter is dealing with two basic ideas. First is that uh, because of the fact that that this this woman gave birth, this woman gave birth to the Messiah, who is the one who defeats uh, Satan. Satan now has had a running hatred for the child. And has done always has done everything in his possibility to to destroy the child, and I, I think that's a very important issue. Now, we only see Satan talk in the Bible three times. I don't know if you ever thought about this. There's only three times that we actually hear the voice of Satan. The first is the one we just read in Genesis chapter three, uh, where he basically says, "You shall not surely die. Shall not surely die." Uh, that's a lie. Uh, it's just an absolute bold-faced lie. He doesn't know how to speak the truth. And we're going to see that as we, get, as we get into this. He does not know how to speak the truth. The second time that we see him speak is in, is in the book of Job. Job is considered the oldest book of the Bible, so this is probably the first time that he could accuse mankind. And this is not against Israel. This is against mankind. And so what he's doing is, because Job, of course, is not Jewish, so Job, this man who believed God and trusted God, was being accused uh, by Satan. And if you go to Job chapter 1, and we're going to read this really quickly, but in Job chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then Satan answered the the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and increased in the land. But put forth his hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely... Isn't that interesting? Same word. He will surely curse thee to thy face. So, again, did, did, uh, did Job ultimately curse God? And the answer is no, he did not. He did not ultimately curse God. Uh, he thought about it. <laughs> he certainly went through the, through the process in his brain and so forth. But... Yeah, he definitely certainly questioned it. But but again, this this idea of 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 of, of him lying and living uh, in in all that he does, um, he is a fraud. And of course, the third time that we see him, uh, we read about this in Matthew chapter four. 
is when he conf- you know, confronted the Lord. And of course, the Lord had just been baptized. He went off into the wilderness. He's out there and he's, he's out there for 40 days. Now, this is interesting because Matthew was not there. So this had to be recounted to Matthew by the Lord himself as to what actually took place. And so it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of Matthew says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And it says, and the tempter, now it's interesting because that's the Greek word, same Greek word that's used in Revelation. And we and in Revelation, we use the word accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Same word here. Um, it's katagrasos, uh, 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 which kata uh, means down from, uh, grasos means the public assembly of people. So this is basically this idea he's accusing, he's the person that brings down the people. That's the idea behind that, that word. So, so katagrasos, and, he, and it's the same thing. So the tempter, this, this, this accuser came and said to him, and most Bibles will use the word if there, but if you study the Greek, uh, this is this is a condi- this is not conditional. He does use the conditional if, which is the word uh, ia or eon uh, in uh, in verse nine. But in these first two times, it's not conditional. It's without condition. So without condition, it should actually be since. So what he's saying is, since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And of course, the Lord answers him as it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The devil then took and takes him up to this high pinnacle and says, hey, I want you to jump off of this, this uh, thing and prove that you, uh, that you can survive that. And he says, you can't tempt the Lord your God. You don't test, you don't test the Lord your God. Um, and, um, and of course, for it is written, you don't test the Lord God. And then he says, uh, he took him up and he showed him all of the, the lands of the earth as though he owned them. But he didn't own them. The truth is, he didn't even have temporary custody of them. And so, but he didn't own them. And he says, I'm going to give you all of these things if you'll bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus looks at him and says, he says, be gone, Satan. I love that. Be gone, Satan. Get out of here. Okay? For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's interesting. All he had to say to Satan for Satan to be gone was what? Be gone. Be gone. Okay, why? Because Satan has no power. This is what everybody misses. What everyone misses about about Satan is that he focuses on the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He did it in, in Genesis chapter three. He did it with Job. He said, "Look, he's you know take away all this stuff, and he'll surely uh, you know uh, walk away from you." He did it with Jesus. He said, "You know, hey, look." Um, you know, I'm going to tempt you in this way. I'm going to tempt you in that way. But, but there was no temptation because it was all lies. Jesus even said in John chapter eight, he said, the guy is a fraud. He says, you are like your father and your father was a liar from the beginning. John eight forty four. So look, I, I, I mean, this is not something uh, that we should ever, ever miss. And that is that he deceives. That is his MO. He is a deceiver. He is not powerful remember that yeah. don't ever forget that about so satan basically what you're saying then when we we use the phrase oh gee, uh satan tempted us or satan's fault it's really not it's our own it's absolutely it's our us own sin nature yes that does that. exactly now he can tempt us 
and he yeah, can accuse us and he can do all of that kind of stuff. There's no question about that and does. Right. But the truth is he doesn't have any power. You know how I know this? It says that he waged a war against Michael and his angels, but nobody died. Did you notice that? Nobody dies. Nobody is destroyed. You know, basically, it, it, go back to Revelation. It's really interesting. It says, and there was a war in heaven, Michael and the angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. They had no strength. And, and literally in the Greek there, it, it literally means they were without strength. It actually, the, the, the actual word there is ademinos, which means without power. So they were without power. They were without strength. They, they did not have any ability to defeat Michael. There was no way. They had no chance. They had no chance whatsoever. So the fact of the matter is, is that he has always realized he's had no chance. Now, can he, in fact, do certain things, which obviously it says here that he poured water like a river out of his mouth, um, you know, and tried to, I think it's interesting that he tried to flood the earth when it was guaranteed by God back in Genesis chapter six, that that could never happen. God guaranteed the earth that it would never be flooded uh, and that there would be no condemnation by flood. But isn't it interesting that it is that Satan is using what God said could not happen because everything about Satan is, I want to prove God wrong. So when we read about Satan, the other place that we read about Satan is in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel uh, 28. And in Isaiah 14, go to Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14, it talks about uh, what I call uh, the I wills of Satan, the things that he wants. These are the things that Satan wants. And look at what he says. He says, how have you fallen from the heaven, O star of, of the morning, sun of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Now, who's speaking there? Who's speaking there? God, right? Okay, so God is speaking there. God is the one that's saying this, okay? He's just saying, now, but look at what he says. But then God says, so now God is effectively quoting Satan. So it's not Satan speaking as much as it is God saying what he said, okay? So listen to this. He says, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend from the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So there are five things there that basically God is saying that, that Satan has said he wants more than any other thing. But what that means is he doesn't have them. Did, did you get that? If God says, these are what you want, and by the way, we're going to read in Ezekiel 28 that he doesn't get them. But if these are the things you want, I will ascend to heaven. Did he ascend to heaven? No. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Did he? The stars of God, by the way, being the angels. Okay, so did he? Absolutely not. I will sit at the mount of the assembly. In the recesses of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Um, I will make myself like the most high. None of that is true. It's all a lie. Now go to Ezekiel. Just go over a few pages to the right. Go to the 28th chapter of Ezekiel. And look at what it says. It says, And again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God. By the way, the king of Tyre is symbolic for Satan. 
It's just, I, I can prove it to you, but I don't have, I'm not going to take the time to do it. Just trust me on that one. Okay. And, but study it. Uh, it's certainly, it's certainly there. So the king of Tyre. So he says, he says, thus says the Lord God, you had, look at that, had, past tense. You don't have it now. You had. You had the seal of perfection. I love that. You had the seal of perfection. It tells us that he was the covering angel. Uh, is in, a, in a minute here. Listen to this. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. That's a really important aspect here. In other words, when he was in Eden, he wasn't cursed yet. Isn't that interesting? His curse was that he, his curse, he was cursed because of his deception to man. That was what he was cursed for. So look at what he says. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, uh, the lapis uh, uh, luzili, uh, the turquoise, the, uh, the emerald, the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub. The word anointed there is Mashiach. So you were the, the, the Mashiach of cherubs. You were the head cherub. You were the most important Uh, cherub you were the anointed cherub who covers and i placed you there you were on the holy mountain of god you walked in the midst of the stones of fire you were blameless in your ways this is incredible statements you were blameless in your ways and the and the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you by the abundance of your trade you were in turn, basically the word trade there is uh, the things that you do for work. Okay. So by the abundance of the things that you do, you were in inter- you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Uh, that's nephesh. That same word again, okay? So because of your nephesh, because of your beauty, uh, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane, profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It, it has consumed you. And I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the people are appalled at you. You have been, you have become, you have become terrified and you will be no more. So that's the judgment that God cast on this one that we call Satan or the devil. This has to happen before Genesis 3, before the tempting. This happened. Otherwise, who tempted the, the point is, is that he says you were in Eden. So how long were they in Eden before there was a temptation? We don't know. But, but, the, but, the, but the fact of the matter is that, that we know that, that this event occurred in Eden. This is where it happened. And so the fact is, is that we see this, this, uh, this event going on. Look, I just want you to get one thing. If you don't get anything else today, Israel, excuse me, uh, Satan has no power over you he has why because you have the holy spirit of god dwelling within you and the holy spirit of god dwelling within you gives you power that's what the bible tells us gives you power and that power 
is more than he can ever possibly handle. The same power that was in Christ is also in you. Read Philippians chapter 3. So the fact of the matter is, is that within us, we have the power. He has no power. None. Zero. Zero. Very important that you understand. Now, why is that a big deal when when it applies to Israel? He has from the beginning wanted to destroy. His his wrath against Israel has been so profound, so complete, so awful, but it has always been restrained. God has always restrained it. So even when, when, when God allows him to, uh, uh, to, to, to persecute through people and allows him, because remember, he, he, can only, he can only kill people through other people. Did you ever think about that? So when he killed six, uh, six million Jews in the, in the Holocaust, he didn't do, Satan didn't kill one of them. It was all done by people. Mm-hmm. Satan never uh, you know, uh, actually carried out any of the pogroms that were in the Spanish Inquisition. They were carried out by people. Are you saying, Don, he has no power over the believer or, or no power over people? No, he has no power. He has, he has influence over people. But the fact is, is that he has no power. And anyone can say no to him. Anyone can say no to him. Even unbelievers. Now they don't, because they're Unless attracted. I'm sorry. Unless you give him the power. That's it. That's the whole point. When you give him that power, when you give him the right to do it, that's that's the whole point. That's exactly right. Which is exactly what Adam and Eve did. They gave him the power. They they gave they gave, they forfeited their own uh, their their own uh, ability to make their own decisions because they did not trust God. They didn't believe God. They believed the liar. And every time you believe a lie, bad stuff happens. I remember my father used to say all the time, Don, just remember something. Every time you tell a lie, you have to remember the lie because then you have to tell another lie to remember the other lie. And then it's another lie. And then it just, it just gets, you know, gets, just keeps going up. So, so the fact is, is that this section where we see this third woe revealed is now the woe is that God is going to uncouple his restraint. And so for the last three and a half years, he's going to allow Satan to be unrestrained for his time is short. And he knows it. Ido. Not Gnosko. Gnosko would be by experience. Ido is to know it intelligently. He knows his time is short. And so he's doing everything he possibly can. So what does he do? He persecutes the woman. Now, does he personally persecute the woman? No, he's got no power to do that. So what does he do? He's going to bring about an antichrist which we're going to read about in the next chapter. And that Antichrist is the one that's going to chase the woman all over town. Satan himself can't chase anybody around town. Satan can't do anything because the fact of the matter is is that Satan is powerless. He's had his powers stripped from him. That's what Ezekiel 28 already told us. So, so these powers have been stripped from him. But what does he have? He has the power of influence. And this is interesting because John Maxwell said something years ago that I thought was one of the most profound things I ever read. And that was... All leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's what Satan has. Satan has leadership. Why does he have leadership? Because he has influence. But can he do anything on his own? No. Now, he has hatred, no question about that. He tells us from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 that he hated, there was enmity between him and the woman. So, this is, this is a fascinating uh, section of Scripture because we see this, this one who is uh, tied up. But what about Israel? 
What about Israel? The fact is, is that the Bible clearly tells us, if you go to Romans chapter 9, go over to Romans chapter 9, In reading in verse 27, it says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word remnant because that's the same word that obviously Isaiah used in Isaiah chapter 10. He's quoting that verse. Uh, but there is, a, there is a better and more complete idea here, and that is that there is a remnant that will be saved. Did you notice at the end of the second woe, and go back to Revelation chapter um, 11, it says, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. And then at the end of uh, chapter 12, it says, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Does it say of God? No, it says of Jesus. You see, one of the great mysteries is, is that during this time, what we're going to see is this great conversion, and that's what the 144,000 are all about. We're going to see that in a couple of chapters, in chapter 14. Read ahead, by the way, you'll see this. But the 144,000 are going to have this incredible uh, experience of leading most, if not all, of the remaining Jewish people at that time back to the Lord God, and they're going to give the testimony of God and the testimony of Jesus. So it's, a, it's, it's an incredible uh, thing that, that is being revealed to us uh, here. But Israel will be protected. Now, there are all sorts of, uh, of, of ideas about what goes on when it says that she's going to be taken into the wilderness. The Jews of, uh, the, the Hasidic Jews, the Orthodox Jews, believe that this is what Petra was created for. And so they've actually fortified Petra to be a place where they could go into the wilderness and so forth. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, that's, I guess that's a possibility and so forth. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know. But I do know that for the last three and a half years, according to this, uh, they're going to be protected. And even though Satan is going to unleash everything that he possibly can. Now, remember, he doesn't have power, so he's going to have people that are going to do this. So he's going to have people that are going to, and we're going to see that as we get into chapters 13, 14, and 15. We're going to see the, the way that he influences people to do his bidding because he, himself, he himself cannot do any bidding. Don't ever forget that. He himself cannot do any bidding. He can only influence other people to There's do it for him. lots of accounts of demon possession mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. Um, he entered into Judas, you know, and Jesus cast out demons amongst People. Right. So it seems as prince of the he's prince of the earth, though, right? Correct. But the fact of the matter is, is that all he can do is influence, and that's all demons can do too. Demons but, are. But he's entering and taking over. Yeah, but de- even even demon possession, uh, as we know it, is overcome by the spirit of God. Totally agree. Totally and completely. So so that's again, we see there's no power there. There's no. It's only influence. At the end of the day, it's it's psychotic. It's psychology. It's it's it's. It's an, it's an amazing um, discussion that we could probably spend a lot more than, than, than we ever could have. But, but at the end of the day, it is important that we as believers understand that he has no authority over you. He has no authority. All he can do is mess with you. And that's what he does. 
And so when it says here that he is uh, the the graos, which is that word in chapter in, in, in chapter twelve, verse ten, it says, and he came as the accuser of our brethren. Um, that is an interesting word because in Greek, uh, that that is the word that the rabbis use to describe Satan. Uh, that's that was a rabbinic word. So that and, and it's interesting. That's the same word that's used by Matthew. Matthew is the only one who uses that word. Luke doesn't use that word in uh, in describing the the. There are two times when the uh, the interface between Jesus and Satan are are written. One is by Luke and one is by Matthew. Matthew was written to to Hebrew people. Luke was written to everybody else. Luke does not call him the Kata Agraos. Only Matthew does. So again, why? Well, because that's actually. Uh, a, 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 a term that Jewish people would understand. What's it mean? It means uh, a person who it, 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 literally kata means to, to put down. Uh, agraos means the people. Okay, okay so the accuser. Of the, the idea is an accuser of the people. Okay, and that's why it says an accuser of our brethren, the kata agraos. So, so that's that uh, that that kind of concept that's that's going on here. I mean, there is so much. Seventeen verses. Amazing. I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface on this. Paul's letters tell you to grow in the knowledge of of God. So he's, you know, James too, you know, uh, show me your faith and no worse. The fact fact of the matter is, is that God has given us the spirit of God. The spirit of God is the trump card. And he reminds us that. Always. Paul reminds us that the whole way. Exactly. Uh, Read Romans chapter 8. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that there's nothing that he can do. You know, in Romans chapter 7, he talks about the fact that I've got all these crazy things going on within me. i got this battle and so forth. He, he said, but at the end of the day, the Spirit of God overcomes all of that. Always overcomes all of that. So, the big thing, though, that I want you to get from this is that when we see the, accru- the, 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 the accusing uh, going on of, uh, of, of Satan, it's basically against two groups. The accusing is always first and foremost against Israel. Always. Uh, all anti-Semitism, which is uh, basically uh, the, the, uh, the opposition of, of anyone who is Semitic, which would be Jewish people. Uh, Anti-Semitism finds its roots in Satan. And so what, what Satan does is he tells lies. So I'm just going to share with you some of the lies that I wrote. The Mark Twain article. Yeah, well, I'm going to read Mark Twain too, but but I want I want you to see some of the things that I, some of the things that I that I think are really big. Uh, I taught a class called Jewish Evangelism uh, many years ago um, that uh, Ray Cohen basically started, and then I carried it on. And uh, this was the very first lesson that we talked about was anti-Semitism, and and the fact that uh, anti-Semitism is prophetic and and so forth. But here are some of the lies that that people tell about Jewish people. Jews have taken the Bible and prayer out of schools. Jews are out to dominate the world. Jews are all communists. Jews are all wealthy. Jews are all crafty, cunning, deceitful, and will cheat non-Jews. Jews cannot uh, be one to Christ. Jews have their own religion, which is good enough. Jews have an abnormal love for money. Jews are are, are Christ killers. Um, And uh, God is through with Israel. Those are just... 10 right off the bat that are just sort of, you know, those are just getting started kind of things, I think, you know, uh, and and so forth. Uh, Throughout the um, history, how has Satan carried out his, 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 uh, his attack? He has never done it himself. He has always done it through people. Always. 
uh, sometimes violent, um, you know, sometimes uh, deflam- uh, defamatory. Uh, the Dark Ages, obviously, Hitler, Russia, uh, the Arabs. Uh, sometimes it's by uh, non violent opposition. For example, uh, we're, we're going to keep Jews out of our community. We're going to keep them out of our social clubs. We're going to keep them out of our golf courses. We're going to keep them out of our churches uh, by disassociation, uh, basically just by saying uh, they really don't exist. Uh, you know, there's this general dislike. Uh, they become the brunt or the butt of our remarks and our jokes. Uh, and we're just not interested in winning them to Christ. It's, it's a fascinating uh, uh, subject. Uh, yet, I sent you guys a link to the actual full article by Mark Twain. I, I really recommend you read it. It's a little long. Uh, it is an essay. Uh, Mark Twain never did anything short. Uh, if you're familiar with his writings, uh, the fact is he never wrote an essay that was less than five or six or eight pages. This is no, uh, uh, no example. But, but I took some things out of it. And listen to this. This is... Uh, uh, I, I call this, uh, all things are mortal but the Jew. Uh, if statistics are right, uh, and by the way, the, uh, I forget what the actual title of it is, but you, you have that. Uh, if statistics are right, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Ways. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of, he is as prominent on the planet as any other people. His commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. I didn't write this, by the way. This was written by Mark Twain in 1899. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, um, and learning are also way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages and has done it with his hands tied behind him. Uh, as an aside, more noble prizes have been given to Jews than any other, any other group of people, and none have been given to uh, Egyptians, Babylon, Persians, or any uh, other Semitic race. None. Zero. Just fascinating. Um, he could be vain of himself and, and be accused of it. The Egyptian, the Babylon, the Persian rose, uh, filled the planet with uh, sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast voice, a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in the twilight now or have vanished. The Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he has always or, or always was, exhibiting no um, uh, decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his, of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his, ener- of his alert, and no dulling of his aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his mortality? or his immortality? And he doesn't answer that question, but I'll answer it for you. God. Uh, Disraeli, who was the, pre, uh, the, the, the premier of, or the prime minister of, of England, was asked, what proof do you have, Disraeli, of your, of your belief in God? The Jew. And he said, but one, the Jew. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that, and that, by the way, the article was called Concerning the Jews. I just remembered it. Uh, so I, I'm, just, I'm just sharing all of this with you. I've got... 
hundreds of pages here of other stuff I could read to you. We just ran out of time. So there you go. But I, I suggest to you this. Know for a certainty, Satan is a defeated foe. He has been, always will be, and has no power over you as a believer. None. All you have to do to get rid of him is say, leave. And he will leave. James tells us that. He says, uh, in James chapter 5, it tells us that, uh, that, the, 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 uh, that Satan goes around like a, a, a ravenous lion seeking whom he may devour. All you got to do is tell him to, to leave. And he does. Why? Because he has no power. So at the end of the day, recognize what we are dealing with. When we read the Revelation, the Revelation is to remind us why we need to trust Jesus as our Savior. That's what it's all about. There is no other purpose for the book. None. It is not to tell us what's going to happen in the future, although that is, in fact, what it's doing, but that's not its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to remind every single one of us that we need a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. Why? Because we don't want to have to go go through all of this. We don't need to go through all of this. The fact of the matter is, is that the power of God is in us and dwells in us and keeps us and protects us. And it is the reason that we are what we are. So the seventh trumpet has sounded. The third woe has been declared. What is the third woe? That the Satan, that the, that the devil realizes that his time is, is now at hand. And now he's going to raise up everything he can possibly do to influence the world, to, to beat against Israel primarily. Because remember, there are no believers at this point. The believers have all been taken. So the only people he can go after now are the Jews. And he's going to do everything in his power to do that. As we get into th- chapters 13, 14, 15, you're going to really see uh, his, his madness go crazy. So next Holy week we'll... Holy Spirit is gone out of, out of, out of the world. Holy Spirit is no longer indwelling anybody. That's correct. Yeah, now that's mean that the Holy Spirit is not on the earth? No. Uh, but he's no longer indwelling people uh, the way he is today. I'm sorry? No, absolutely not. We, we see, obviously, it says there, Steve, that, uh, that there were people that were giving a testimony of Jesus. So obviously, uh, the 144,000 were not there for no reason at all. They were there to, to, to lead as many people as could uh, to him. But, but man, you don't want to have to have gone through all of that. First of all, you only have a 50-50 chance of even being there in the first place because half the world's already been taken out as far as population. So you're right, Summer, I do talk fast. I just realized that. So anyhow, there we go. Let's, uh, let's end in a word of prayer and we'll get out of here. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful that you have defeated the enemy, that above everything else, God, that you have put your Messiah upon your holy hill in Zion and that we are seated right next to him. Uh, I am so glad that uh, in times past I walked according to the course of this world, according to the, to, to the powers of, of, of this one that we call Satan, but no longer. Um, because you were rich in your mercy towards us. You loved us so much that you gave a, your, your son for us, and now you have seated us at your right hand along with him. That to me is just so great because your grace, God, is so powerful. And I am so thankful that for for by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is your gift, uh, not of works, lest any of us should ever boast. And God, I am thankful for for walking in the spirit of God and and to understand what it means to, uh, to be your child. 
Bless us now. Watch over our time today. Keep us well as we thank you for Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen.